turn with me to Luke chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, simply raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. We could go home already, right? Or not, but uh, we could. We've been blessed just with the worship. We've been blessed uh, seeing what the Lord is doing uh, in another Calvary chapel, but, uh, and just what the Lord's been doing here uh, in you guys and through this place. But Luke chapter 14, we'll pick back up uh, with verse 15. Wasn't Sam a blessing last week? What a powerful message. Uh, it's on the, if you haven't heard it, it's on the website. Everything is updated. If you went out there the other day and said, well, I looked for it, it wasn't there. Well, I promise it's there now. It is there, so you can go out and listen to it. Uh, you'll want to catch the whole thing uh, from Sam last week if you're out of town or want to, uh, unable to be here. But we're going to pick back up where we left in Luke, starting with verse 15. I'll be reading verses 15 through 24, and I think you'll see where this corresponds to some degree with the video we showed as well. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. He says this with excitement, you can see. Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he said to him, Jesus speaking here, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. He sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they, all with one accord, begin to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. And I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets, in the lanes of the city, Bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Lord, we just ask now your spirit to bless and speak mightily through your word. Strengthen us, encourage us, convict us, whatever we need. Lord, we would hear it, receive it, and apply it in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I titled our time in God's Word this morning, Everyone is Invited. Aren't you glad everyone's invited? Everyone's invited. Doesn't matter what background you're from, doesn't matter what neighborhood you're from, doesn't matter what family you're from, doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, everyone is invited. And we'll look at uh, four things this morning. Uh, we'll look at an expectation, an invitation, an excuse, and an extension. And I'll repeat these so you can go as, uh, uh, just follow along as we go. But let's first look at this expectation. Uh, Jesus, uh, if you recall the previous verses, you know, he had been invited to uh, a meal, and he'd come into that place and and, uh, and as he's there with these religious leaders, um, he's sitting at their meal. And one of the men who's sitting at the table there in verse 15, uh, he says, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now that's a true statement, isn't it? Wouldn't you think it would be blessed to someday eat in the kingdom of God? 
Now he says, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now the intent and belief of this man we don't really know. We don't know his intent. We don't know anything about him. We don't know uh, where he ranked in the religious leaders, who he was. Was he, was he the head of the house? Was he someone else? We don't know. Was this a sincere statement? Was it a sincere statement of belief in Christ as the Messiah? Or, because it could be, if you say that sincerely, you say, well, I believe you are the one, and I'm going to eat with you someday. Is it a sincere statement? Or is it a statement of his and many of the others that are seated at the table there is a statement of his and their collective self-righteous belief in them being Jewish? Because they were the keepers of the law. These were the top dogs in the Jewish religious establishment. Remember, they invited Jesus not because they really wanted him there, but to see what he would do on the Sabbath. Remember, the invitation to their meal was a trap. It was to trap Jesus. Would he heal the man with dropsy, if you were with us in the previous study? These men, they were strict adherents to the law. Everything had to be exactly according to the law, at least outwardly. In their minds and hearts, there was a lot of law-breaking going on, wasn't there? Jesus knew their hearts. They were full of all kinds of wicked thoughts and evil intentions, but outwardly they were very strict adherents to the law. Notwithstanding, they added all the other additional man-made laws that were really heavy burdens for people to bear. It would be like, you know, you know in, in, when Pastor Chuck started Calvary Chapel out in Costa Mesa, you know, telling all of those hippies, you know, our law is you can't wear flip-flops. Sorry, you've got to wear penny loafers and khakis. And you have to look really nice and make sure those khakis are pressed or you can't come in. But they had those kind of stipulations. They had those kind of rules and regulations. Uh, rather than the parts of the law that were the most important, which was what? To love God with all your heart. See, if you love God with all your heart, you're going to love people. And you're not going to put heavy burdens on people. You're going to love them enough to bring them to the mercy and the grace and the freedom and liberty that's in Christ. But these guys weren't about that. So we don't know. We don't know if this man was like a Nicodemus that was coming to the place that said, you really are the one, blessed will it be to be in the kingdom, or if he was simply saying, blessed will be we, you know, me and these guys, we will be in the kingdom. <laughs> the, the riffraff outside our house, they certainly won't be there. And the Gentiles, for goodness sake, they won't be there because they're Gentiles. And they are the uncircumcised and, and all the things that, uh, and they eat pork and all the things that, you know, that, that they would not do. They would look at those folks as no chance of them going to heaven whatsoever. So this statement, if it's not a sincere endorsement and if it's not sincere agreement with Jesus, i.e. that uh, those that are saved would be joining him him for bread. Joining Remember, they invited Jesus to a meal. If it's a sincere statement that they would then be joining Jesus for bread someday in the kingdom of God. But if it's not a sincere statement, then it was said either in ignorance or arrogance or both. If it wasn't a sincere statement, it's either said in ignorance, arrogance, or both. Now, why would it be ignorance? Well, people really do 
have an ignorance of truth. Let's say you were born in a Muslim country, and you were told from the time you were born that Jews and Christians are dirty, and they're on their way to eternal damnation, and only the followers of Muhammad will ever even have a chance at paradise. Now, if you were taught that from the time you were a kid, you are ignorant of truth, but you really might believe it. Or if you were born a Jewish child and you were told that all Gentiles, because they do eat pork and other animals and they don't follow the law and they don't come to the temple, that they have no chance of ever inheriting heaven. You see, it can work on both ends. Or Hinduism, you're raised believing Hinduism in the other faith, huh? whatever it may be. Atheism. So you can have an ignorance and really believe it if, you saw, if you've been taught anything other than the truth. But then, if along comes God and reveals to you truth and you reject it, well, now you've moved into the realm of arrogance. Right? If Jesus comes along and teaches you, no, 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 time out. This is the truth. All can be saved. Yes, even lepers. Yes, even this person. Yes, even uh, someone who's caught in adultery. All these people can be saved. Jesus teaches that, and you still reject it? Well, that's no longer ignorance. That's just arrogance. Well, I don't care what God says. Well, I don't even believe Jesus is God. Well, every knee will someday bow and confess. And at that time, everyone will acknowledge it was arrogance. It wasn't ignorance. I flat out chose not to believe. And you can have a combination of both as well. Anytime we reject truth for our own version of truth, which is no truth at all, but people have their own version of truth. And these leaders, they've heard Jesus a number of times. How many times have you seen a guy who knows every bit of the Tanakh and the Old Testament? He teaches it. He teaches things you've never understood before. And oh, by the way, he raises the dead, heals people at the same time. And you still say he's a fraud. And oh, what? And the reason why he's a fraud is he actually does nice things on Sabbath days. He heals people on the Sabbath. Can you believe it? How many of you would like to be healed on the Sabbath? You'd be okay with some of the things you've been praying for. We all would. But they had the living word among them. Just as people reject the written word, they rejected the living word in their midst. And again, we don't know this man. I hope he was a sincere believer, but we don't know one way or the other. The Pharisees, they believed being Jewish and keepers of the law, they believed that that would ensure their place in the future kingdom. First being Jewish, you had to be Jewish. That was, that was done with birth. They were the blessed. They were given the blood uh, lineage of Abraham. They would be in the kingdom. Secondly, as long as they were keepers of the law, didn't matter if they couldn't keep it in here or keep it in here, as long as they kept it outward ceremonially, they were good to go. So they would be in the future kingdom of heaven. And here's what they believed. Uh, all the rabbinical, uh, you know, if you go back and look at the rabbinical writings, and their understanding was that they would get to someday sit down at this future feast in heaven with Abraham and the Messiah. Now, they thought of the Messiah as a David-like figure, a mighty king, you know, someone who would break the bondage of everything else. And so Abraham, the father of their faith, and the Messiah, the deliverer, even greater 
than Moses. They would sit at this feast with Abraham and Messiah. And all the Jews that kept the law, must be Jewish, kept, keep the law, they would be there. And then the really important leaders, like these guys fancied themselves, they would actually have a prime piece of real estate near Abraham and the Messiah at this feast. Right? Even the disciples got mixed up with it a little bit. Remember, they were talking about, Lord, uh, can we sit on your right hand? And, you know, remember? We want, we want to make sure we have a good spot near you. So they understood from the teaching uh, in the synagogues that someday there would be this great feast and Abraham and Messiah would be there. Remember, even in hell, it's Abraham's what? Bosom. Abraham is considered the father, the physical father of faith. We know that the Lord is the true father of faith. But whatever the man's intent, his statement carries an interesting perspective. He says, blessed is he who shall eat. You know, whether this was a statement of belief in his own heart or just saying what he thought self-righteously, he still makes a true statement. Sometimes God will use anyone to speak the truth. And it is true. Blessed is who shall eat. Can we be blessed, Christian? Can we be blessed now for something that will happen in the future? Can we be blessed now for something that will happen in the future? Well, the answer is that absolutely yes. And I want to come back to that when we get to the end of this study, but we'll come back to that thought. Jesus recognizes that many, and certainly a number of those who he's dining with here, uh, many do not share the enthusiasm. If this is a sincere statement, many don't share that enthusiasm. And many people are not looking forward to eternity in the kingdom of God. They actually are looking forward to next week here, or 10 years from now. They're looking forward to what this world has to offer. They're not even looking forward to the kingdom of God. We are to be. But Jesus takes this man's statement. Remember, he's sitting at their meal. He takes this man's statement regarding that glorious day in the future of eating with the Lord. Can you imagine sitting down and eat with God? I mean, if you've ever been impressed, like, you're not going to believe it. So, a big shot so-and-so athlete. I ate dinner with him. You ate with God. Someday, that glorious day in the future. Jesus uses this statement by this man as a launching point to present a parable of a dinner invitation that's going out. And in fact, the invitation was already going out in their midst and they did not know it. Isn't that great? They're talking about a future meal. They're at a meal and Jesus is about to tell them a parable. But by the way, a dinner invitation has already gone out. And you guys still haven't understood the invitation or the ramifications of it. Let's look at the invitation. So this invitation, a certain man has a great supper, or a man gave a great supper and invited many. Not a few, many. This is not, oh, I'm just going to invite just a couple of select people. Many are invited. Sends his ser servant to say that uh, to those who are invited, come for all things are now ready. So this invite goes out. It isn't just any meal. 
and the man hosting this meal and the event, he has the means to feed and provide for many. Now, you can't invite a lot of people unless you have the cash <laughs> to put the meal together. But he invites many, and he has the means to take care of many and to make sure that they're all well taken care of. And he personally, through his servants, the invite is from him, but he sends out servants to do the inviting. Carries hand invitations to everybody. You've got to have a lot of servants to invite many people too, right? This isn't like sending two guys out. So he's sending out many servants, too many. This meal, like most ancient feasts, would begin with a supper that would start at the end of a work day. It's uh, said that it's a supper, so evening time would be when the feast would commence. So at the end of the day, when all the other cares and responsibilities are completed, that's when the meal would begin. In Israel, also a new day begins when? In the evening. It's when a new day begins. Matthew Henry, he said, the manifestation of the gospel of grace to the world was the evening of the world's day. And the fruition of the fullness of that grace in heaven is reserved for the evening of our day. You see, the picture here is there is limited time to participate in this event. Supper. Breakfast is gone. Lunch is gone. You're invited to a dinner, and there's limited time to come and be part of it. In ancient times... The greatest feasts were reserved for weddings. You probably, many of you probably know that. The greatest feasts were weddings. And in the Jewish culture, there was no greater feast than a wedding. Those invited, they would know the general time frame. It wasn't like today's weddings. You know, we just uh, had a wedding here uh, with one of the young couples here a couple weeks ago, everyone knew the exact date and time. In the ancient times, the Jewish wedding, you would know the general time. So you'd have to keep your calendar pretty open for the whole general time. You didn't get to say, well, as long as you make it 5.30 on Saturday the so-and-so, I will be there. You had to know that the whole general time had to remain open, and you had to be able to drop everything when it was ready to commence, because you wouldn't know exactly which day it would be. But you'd know the general time. And those that invited, they would find out on the very day, they would find out, word would go out, it is tonight, and it's at this time. Everyone come. It was an honor, it was an honor in ancient times to be invited to a feast or to a celebration. Um, many times a day, you know, we get invited to so many things, we don't think it's an honor anymore. Like, oh man, I can't go to another one of these. <laughs> Our family, we have lots and lots of kids in the family, so lots of birthday parties, right? And you're like, how do I fit this in? But, you know, this is not the case here. This is an honor. This is a big deal. Everyone would drop everything to be part of a great wedding feast, and you were invited as family we don't know definitively that this parable refers to a wedding feast, but many Bible scholars 
do believe that this is referring to a wedding feast. And regardless, the invite goes out. And here's the interesting thing. The way the text reads, it's apparent that nobody refuses the invite. Understand. Nobody, remember, the invite goes first. The final proclamation today is the day comes second. So you would receive the invite. Oh, by the way, we, Master so-and-so is holding a great feast. Oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. We'll make sure we're available. Time comes. Then what is the response? Let's look at an excuse if you're taking notes. The invitation goes out in verse 17, come for all things are now ready. They knew the general time frame. They now know the wedding feast is about to take place. And they all drop everything to get there. No. But they all, remember these are Jesus' words. Jesus is saying this. You've got to understand the depth of what this means. Jesus is pointing out something huge for us in the whole world. He says, but they all with one accord begin to make excuses. Excuses. The first one said, I, I bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it and ask. I ask you to have me excused. This person says to the, to the man hosting, please excuse me. I, I can't make it. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them, and I ask you to have me excused. Still another, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I'm booked. I'm tied up. We have a date tonight. Well, make your date the wedding. No, <laughs> we made reservations. It took months to get this reservation. We can't, we can't cancel that. The excuses, one by one, they're with one accord. It's a mass, voluminous response of excuse after excuse after excuse. One by one, each person has their own excuse. Notice the excuses are different. As if having a different excuse is going to make all the difference. Different excuses. It appears, based on the context of the parable, that the man hosting the feast actually expected them to come, but the day of, they weren't coming. They had excuses. The time came, it's, um, uh, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. We, we really did intend to come. We knew the general time frame, but it's not, it's just not convenient. It's not convenient. Tell that to Pastor Ray up in New Jersey. Trying to reach people that are slipping into hell. It's just not convenient. What about the Christian life is ever going to be convenient? But this is an invitation just to be saved in the first place. Just to come to Christ. But the excuses don't add up. They're not all of, every time we make excuses, they'll never stand the test of standing before a holy God, will they? Because the excuses Jesus gives are the excuses mankind does give, but they don't hold, add up at all. First of all, if you were going to buy a piece of property, you would look at it before you bought it. But this man had already bought the property. So going to look at it now isn't going to help at all. He had already bought the property. 
And it was going to be no different if he went to the feast and went and looked at the property after that. That's an excuse. I need to go look at the property I bought. The other excuse, I bought five oxen and I'm going to need to test them. You would test the oxen before you buy them. Who would not test drive a car? That's why I don't even get this whole buy on the internet thing. And, and, and matter of fact, they found that uh, it's never taken off like people thought it would because most people want to get in the car, see how it smells, did somebody spill something in there, did the brakes work the way it says. You would test the ox in the same way. You would test it. It doesn't hold up. Then the other one, I'm married and I have a wife. Now, uh, under the law, that if you were... In early marriage, you were excused from military service out of the gate. You were excused from certain business travel, but you had, uh, you didn't have to go to those, but you were, as a husband and wife, able to go to things like a wedding feast. These excuses don't hold up. Notice the other thing. Not only the excuses not add up, but notice what gets in the way of people coming to the wedding feast that the gospel presents. Possessions and relationships. Possessions and relationships. I would love to be with the Lord, but I got a lot of stuff, said the rich young ruler. I got a lot of stuff. And who's going to take care of it if I'm not there to take care of it? Who's going to wax the BMW? I need to be home doing that. I need to be looking over my property. I need to be taking care of all the things I've acquired. Or relationships. Man, I'd love to come to Christ, but that would really get in the way of our relationships because no one else in the family is saved and they wouldn't really respond well. But didn't Jesus say prior to this that he comes with a sword and it divides family? Didn't he already say that? All of the excuses. When you've been invited by God to a feast, they'll never add up. Many people, notice that the, the, the responses are not flat refusals. They are not, forget it, I'm not coming, have no interest whatsoever. Why, do, why does Jesus note, why does he phrase it in such a way that nobody gives flat refusals, I'm not interested, I'm not coming? He's pointing to something else here, I believe. Many people, it's in their guilt. They have guilt and shame and say no to God. So they don't want to flatly say no, so they politely look for excuses as if those will satisfy God. Things like this, I need time to think about it. Although, watch anyone in the course of their life, they don't waste any time with tons of unimportant decisions. Boom, 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 boom. They don't oh, I, you mean you just bought that car tonight? Yeah, we, we, we were looking at it, and we just thought it was a great opportunity. Why don't you just go pray about it, think about it for a while? Didn't need that. But eternal life? I need time to think about it. Maybe when I'm older. You ever heard that one? Maybe when I'm older. Live, live life while, how about this one? Probably later, I've got some things to get ironed out in my life. I've got just issues I've got to figure out first. Instead of the Lord ironing out those issues. How about this one? After we have children, then we'll be ready, or I'll be ready. After we have kids, because they're going to need Sunday school. We don't need that stuff, but the kids will need it. Right? All these excuses. 
Yes, it's evening, the supper's begun, and the opportunity is fading. But what about the man, the master himself, that's throwing the feast? He says he becomes angry. Can you imagine the surprise of he thinks all these people are coming, and all one by one, they are not coming. All the excuses. Can you imagine, let's think about us doing the same thing. Can you imagine, you've checked with some family, you've checked with friends, uh, even your own children, to have a day where you're going to throw a big meal a big cookout or something, uh, some big meal. Let's say it's your spouse's 50th birthday. You've let everybody know, not even general date, the exact date. They've all indicated that they're free that day. Everything sounds good. You spent more time than you've ever spent on this kind of gathering. You've even bought some nice little gifts for everybody because it's the 50th birthday and you want to just say thanks for all the people that invested in that person's life. And when the day comes and you send out just a morning text to everybody, you send out a morning text to everybody saying, it's a beautiful June day. And just, hey, looking forward to seeing everyone later this afternoon, just a quick confirmation of our address. And then one by one, the texts start rolling in. Um, Something's come up. Not one or two people. Every single person. we, We really planned on it. Something's come up, person by person, family by family. And you're thinking, how could they all have conflicts? But Jesus said, with one accord, the excuses came in. Everything has been purchased. All the plans have been made. You've set up everything in the backyard. Most of the food was made the night before. You were cutting salad that night before. Vegetables cut up. Desserts were ready. The meat had been thawed and marinated. Sound familiar? The decorations are up. The kids that still live at home are there with you. Everyone's excited about it. And then you let them know 200 people have texted back one by one. We got other plans after all. Can you imagine the heart of God? You know your own heart would be crushed, wouldn't it? You couldn't believe it if that would happen to you. Nobody says, I'm not interested on their text. They have really good reasons. We were supposed to test drive a car this afternoon. we got to go pick up Susie from college. Everyone has reasons that they never told you before, but now they're telling you now. What do you do? Most of us would just call off the party, call it a complete loss, maybe eat a gallon of ice cream, (laughs) right? Tell the spouse, plans have changed, happy 50th from me alone, right? Isn't it great that God the Father has the Son and the Spirit no matter what we do? But anyway, we would throw the whole thing out the window, throw the food out, save what we could, but this isn't how God responds. This is not how God responds to this. 
He doesn't respond that way to the excuses, the cancellations, the rejections. No, he decides to keep inviting other people and doubles down on the invites. And says, let's make sure that anyone willing to come, the people that don't have all the conflicts, go invite them. Anyone willing to come. You see the pre-invited group, guess who it was? It was ancient Israel. They got the pre-invites. They were the first invited. They had the law. They had the prophets. They knew the general time frame of Jesus' arrival as Messiah. The wise men at his birth, how did they know to come all the way to Jerusalem? Well, in addition to the star, they likely understood Daniel chapter 9 and the rebuilding of the the temple and the rebuilding of Jerusalem in the 69th week of Daniel, which would actually be when Jesus would enter on the donkey. But the general time frame, oh, it's somewhere in this 30 to 50 year range. Do we understand the times we're living in for his second coming, his return? They had the first invite. And when he arrives with the first invite, with the truth, they should have recognized this is the, this is the guy who's holding the feast in the future kingdom. This is him. Israel got the invite, but they just weren't sure Jesus was the one. And they weren't sure following him would be fun or not. Because other things seemed more fun, like maintaining your own current little kingdom of your own self-will. So they made excuses, and they kept busy doing other things. Think about the number of Americans that have Bibles in their house. Do you know that oh, more than 90% of Americans own a Bible? More than 90% of Americans are not saved, but they have a Bible. They have the invite sitting in their house. The invitation is sitting there with, covered with dust, but they're watching HBO. They've accepted HBO's invite. They've accepted the corporate promotion invite. They've accepted everything. They've accepted their neighbor's invite. They've accepted everyone's invite. But God has an invite, and they're like, I don't have time for that. Doesn't sound all that interesting either. They have their own will, but they don't have a surrendered heart to the invitation of God. But if they won't come, God's going to keep inviting, though, isn't he? So he just invites the whole world, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. You see, the meal God's inviting people to, the meal God's inviting people is for his son. It's his son's wedding, isn't it? To his bride. And guess what? The meal will not be canceled, period. Isn't that great? It's not going to be canceled. If someone doesn't want to come, it's not going to cancel the wedding. It's still going to take place. The meal's still going to happen. It's not going to be trimmed down. It's not going to be altered. There's not going to be any meat thrown out. There'll be more people coming in than those people who said, I'm too busy. Isn't it great? It says, uh, the servants went out. It's done as you commanded. Boy, I hope we're that kind of obedient servant. It is done as you have commanded. And they said, but there's, uh, there's still room. He wants to fill it. He says, Master, it's done. And the Master says, go and out in the highways and hedges. Find anyone. Find everyone. 
I want to close looking at this extended invite or the extension. If you're taking notes, the extension here. Yes, the master's angry. He's angry that people, that he's, he's prepared for them and they rudely give excuses. But he's like, even if they won't come, go everywhere. The highways, the byways. Now this has actually got some other imagery. The lame, the poor, all those, those are the masses of people that Jesus has been healing, feeding. The highways, what was said in that time, all highways lead to Rome. The highways and the hedges, as Jesus is speaking directly here, though in parable form, he's speaking of God reaching the whole world of Gentiles. We're on the highways, folks. If you're a Gentile, he's speaking of us. He's like, even if the household of Israel, not in totality, because Peter, James, John, they're Jewish and they do believe in Jesus. Not in totality, but the majority of the household of Israel said, we're not interested, we're going to stick with what we got. We got this pharisaical thing going, and we like it. But many, Jesus said, if outside of Israel will, when someday the Apostle Paul and others go out in the highways, they'll come and say, yes, we want to eat at that final wedding feast. We want to be there. That extension, if you're taking notes, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus says these words in Matthew 8, 11, and 12. Remember I mentioned that they believed that, that Abraham... And, uh, and the Messiah would both be there. And they were correct. Abraham will be there. Amen? Messiah will be there. They're right about that. And Matthew 8, 11 and 12, Jesus said, And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, well beyond Israel, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But here's the bad news. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said the very sons of the kingdom, the ones that had the blood lineage, not all of them, but many of them that had the blood relation to David or Abraham are sadly cast out because they didn't accept the wedding invite. They had better things to do. One more quote from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry said, There is that in Christ and the grace of the gospel which will be food and a feast for the soul of man that knows its capacities, for the soul of a sinner that knows its own necessities and miseries. See, if you invite, it, it make practical, practically this makes a lot of sense. If you try and invite, let's say you throw the, to go back to the analogy, you throw the best party you know how to throw. And you know on a scale of measuring it to what a billionaire throws in the Hamptons. Yours is little peanuts, Right? You're all excited that you got great deals at Costco, right? And they would look at it like, you call that a party? And you try and invite them, they're not interested. They're like, we're eating with Donald Trump today. And then we're golfing and doing this, that, and the other. So they're not that, they're not that interested. But then you go to a homeless person and you invite them. They think they've arrived at a mansion. And Jesus is saying, the soul the soul that knows it's in misery, that knows it's in guilt, that knows it's in shame, when the God of the universe invites, actually, that's what Matthew Henry's point is, that soul says, give me that bread, please. And the Lord will give it. But even for us as Christians, 
We have to keep eating the bread of the feast. Remember we talked about, can you be blessed now for something that is to come? Yes. Yes. We've been given the living word now. Chuck said, true spiritual growth can only come by feeding on the word. You need to have a good diet to grow. And the word of God is the diet that promotes spiritual growth in a believer. Get into the word and get the word in you. See, we should be eating at the banquet table now. We should be doing that this morning, but we should be doing that in our personal life. We should be doing it with gathering with other believers. If you're not in discipleship, if you're not in fellowship, those all are things that we should be doing, just as they did in the book of Acts. What is Jesus inviting? Christian, what is Jesus inviting us to that we're making excuses about? It's easy to look at the unsaid, well, I already came to Christ, so but, you know, I, I, I didn't make that excuse. I came to Jesus. Well, now that we've come to Jesus, what are the things he's inviting us to that we're still making excuses about? Is he inviting you to prayer life and you still haven't come? Is he inviting you to fellowship and invite people over to your house and fellowship, but you still haven't done it? Is he inviting us to service that we're not doing? The servants, they did everything the master commanded. Is he inviting us to these things? I believe he's inviting us to all of these things. Is he inviting us to worship and we're not? Back to that question. Can we be blessed now for something that will happen in the future? Without question. Without question we can. For the unsaved world, many of them, Jesus knows that they do not see the gospel as good news. How do they interpret it? How did many of us interpret it before salvation? Remember, you heard Rajan, are you a cop? Right? It wasn't perceived immediately as good news. Because what people see good news is if they follow Christ, they don't see it as a joyful life, a forgiven life. No, they consider a lesser life, a substandard life, a real Debbie Downer. Oh gosh, I gotta go to church now? I gotta read in my Bible now. I like reading People, and Cosmo, and Time Magazine, and Sports Illustrated, and all that stuff. But the Bible? That sounds really boring. And I wouldn't begin to, I wouldn't get to watch the greatest of movies and all these things that you guys can't do. People stay away from the feast of salvation. Because they actually think they have something better. They think the team of oxen is better. They think their marriage is better. They think all these things are better than eternity with God. Very, very short-sighted. We all have it. We need God to open our eyes and show us how wrong we are. But even after you come to salvation, you are not done. There's still the gospel of sanctification the rest of your life. And many Christians have come to the feast of salvation, but have yet to come to the feast of sanctification. And they still are like this when it comes to Jesus' invite to a deeper walk with Christ. And they're not feeding 
on Jesus. They're not in the Word. Look at, uh, I don't have time to read, turn, have you turn there, but let me read to you. How many of you have ever read this in Romans chapter 1, verse 15? Paul's speaking to the church at Rome, and he says this, Romans 1, 15. Write it down, go look at it later. Paul's speaking to believers. Listen to what he says. So as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you in Rome also. What is Paul talking about? These people are saved. He's talking about the gospel of growing in our salvation. Feeding at the banquet table. Being fed by the Lord. Isn't it interesting? And, and I, I had no idea in the video. I'd watched it before. I forgot all about that it references Psalm 23. But I had my notes to say Psalm 23. You know, notice in Psalm 23, it said, He makes me to what? Lie down. Why is that? Because Christians, even we are rebels at heart. We don't want to lie down. We want to stay busy doing our thing. And he's saying, lie down and listen to my voice. Lie down and pray. Lie down and read. Lie down and really be transformed. Activity alone. Psalm 119, 16 says, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Are we to the place we delight in the word of God? Or do we just, well, we just do it. Learning to delight in it. Psalm 14, 34, may my meditation be sweet to him. I'll be glad in the Lord. So we can actually be in the wedding feast now. That's what Pastor Chuck was talking about. That's what Matthew Henry's speaking of. Many Christians, they just, they want to be at the wedding feast in the future, but not be feasting with the Lord now. I, I want that future place. That's a dangerous place to be, by the way. To say, I want the future feast, I just don't want any of the feast now. I just kind of want whatever the minimum level is, give me that. It, can you ration me something? But Jesus is inviting to the full deal. That's why Paul was going to Rome, so they understood what Rejan said, doctrine. And then the doctrine wasn't just in the head, it was in the hands and feet by going out and reaching other people. Isaiah 55, 1 says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk, money without price. This, was, this is the feast that Jesus invites the unsaved to. But the believer, we still have to continue to drink it in and feast on it the rest of our life. Because Jesus told us in John 10, 10, I've come that you may have life and have it what? More abundantly. Many Christians, the reason why they don't serve the Lord, the reason why they don't witness, the reason why they don't invite anyone to church, is they're not happy in Christ. They have no joy. They think they themselves are still like, man, I still got to do this stuff. You've got to shed that unbelief and throw it all at the cross. Say, Lord, I love this stuff now because this is the feast. It, by the way, if you don't like the feast now, you really wouldn't enjoy heaven because it's super spiritual up there. <laughs> I mean, there's no sin. It's, it's all day Jesus talking about himself. Isn't it? It's eternity of God speaking of his glory. And say, well, I don't really enjoy that now, and that's why I don't tell anybody else about it. But I do hope they get saved. <laughs> right? I just hope somebody else, hope Ray Dash does it. 
I hope Wes Bentley in Africa does it. I hope Pastor Chuck, oh, he's gone, so he can't do it. I hope Brian Broderson does it. Right? And Jesus is sending us out in the highways and the hedges. But we're not going to invite people to the feast if we're not feasting now. Does that make sense? You have to believe in the party you're throwing. Or you're not inviting anybody. But if I know that the people I'm inviting, no, this cookout's going to be fun. I believe it. You need to come. But if you don't believe it, they won't believe it. Extended invite. You know, just close to say, Christian, let's sit down and eat at the feast now while pressing to the feast in the future. Amen? And invite other people to it. Well, if they say no, well, God's already dealt with a lot of rejection, hasn't he? How did he handle it? He moved on to the next person. And by the way, don't just move on. Go back and re-invite them. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that everyone is indeed invited. Not only the unsaved, but Lord, we're invited to go deeper in our love for you and our walk with you. And Lord, I pray that we would. But Lord, before we take of the Lord's Supper this morning, Lord, we, we would ask that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, has never said yes to the initial invite of your Holy Spirit, would say yes this morning. We pray collectively you would just call them by name. You call them by name. Before we take the Lord's Supper, I just, if there's anyone here and you've never given your life to Jesus, say, you know, I didn't realize that God had made all these preparations just for me, and I've kept telling him, I'm busy. I'll wait a little bit longer. Wait till I have kids. Wait till I have that. Just stand right where you're at and accept the invite that God has given you to salvation. Anyone at all, just say, well, I've heard this a million times, and I, that's okay. God loves you enough to give you another invite. I heard a lot of times before I got saved at 25. This very month, 20 years ago, I'll be sharing that in two weeks. But if you're here and you say, I, I never heard it that way, or it never struck me that way, or the Holy Spirit never, but I want to I eat in the kingdom of God someday, and I want my sins forgiven now. Just stand right where you're at. Don't worry about what other people think. They'll actually rejoice with you. Anyone at all. For those of us who are believers, you know, take this time as we're gonna, we're really going to eat of the Lord's Supper, which is a picture of the things to come. Someday when we, Jesus won't even touch the fruit of this vine until he eats it with us in the new kingdom. Take the time right now, and if, if, if you've not been obedient to the, the call of Jesus to come in certain areas of your life, maybe he is calling you to a prayer life. He's calling you to serve in some capacity. He's calling you to fellowship or invite that family, the things that he's been asking you to do, and you've said, ah, oh, wait till later. Just tell him you're sorry. The great news is we can't fix yesterday, but we can fix our response today. Amen?